Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz. Today on the show, we are going to be talking Russell Wilson. He made his way to the podium for the first time this offseason. You know, it's it's been a few months since we heard all the Dan Patrick stuff way back in February. And, and we're just now getting around to hearing what he has to say and joining us to talk about it, as well as a bunch of other offseason stuff, is Stacy Ross from 710 ESPN. Stacy, welcome back. Hi, it's good to be back. I've, I, I loved this last time. I was so excited when you texted. Well, you know, it was, gosh, I think the first game of the season, and now we've gone through a full season. We've almost gone through, gosh, what feels like a really full offseason. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, here we are. We're and, uh, and we have some breaking news, really, to talk about because Russell Wilson... Like I said, made his way to the podium and had a few things to say, had a had an opportunity to respond to a lot of these comments. And so I'm curious really to get your reaction to some of this because I mean what what's kind of been your reaction this offseason? Because, you know, with doing a daily show on 710 ESPN, but also, you know, you sit right next to Jake Heaps, who obviously uh knows what's really going on with Russell Wilson. And so I, I'm I'm just how has this been for you? Uh, you know, it has been interesting, uh, which is a horrible word to use. It's like saying someone is nice, but it has, it has been interesting. Um, when it first happened, I don't know that I did like a double, triple take. I was like, okay. And I, I, I gotta be honest that I didn't initially think much of it. Like in the first minutes after someone played me the audio, my assumption from the jump, once once we were talking about it, whether it's me and Jake, me and Curtis, whoever else, I mean, everyone at 710 together, and obviously many friends I have outside of the building who are Seahawks fans all talking about it. My assumption was never that he was pointing to the offensive lineman there in the building last year saying, do better. It also, it always felt a little bit like pointing at the organization, yeah. pointing at Pete and John saying, it would be great if if this wouldn't keep happening to me. So it never felt like it, it, the any implication of the offensive line always felt like collateral damage. And also, I mean, Dwayne Brown and Russell Wilson have a really good relationship. And so I'm just assuming that like he's not throwing Dwayne Brown, clearly not Dwayne Brown under the bus. I understand the implication. And I think more so than anything else, it just caught people off guard given Russell Wilson that they've known for 10 years, for up to then nine years, right? This is the guy that, toes the company line, never says anything bad, ends every single press conference with Go Hawks. Like I specifically remember there was a press conference where uh, Liz Matthews, God love her, uh, we had like a media uh, fast food day when I was still reporting. And uh, I'm sure they still do it, but everyone brings in like fast food or whatever. So you bring like 20 of something. And so we were all talking about that. And then Russell comes out for his press conference and she says, where's your favorite place to get a burger? And it's this offhand comment and you can see the gears working in his mind. Like, do I have any uh, public relationships with any companies? Do I have any sponsorships I need to be aware of? Is there anyone I'm going to be offending by saying like, he is so careful and you see it play out. And if anything, the critique I've heard from people is like, this guy is a robot. He is so boring. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was my initial reaction. My initial reaction was, huh. And then and then immediately followed by the assumption it was about Pete and John and not necessarily about the guys in front of them. To hear the national perspective then is very different from the local perspective. And, and just like I mentioned with Jake Heaps and you know, Daniel Jeremiah was just on with Brock and Salk on their podcast this last week. And 
I know you guys played some of the comments on that and yeah. how DJ was saying that it was it was feeling to him like a short term marriage. And I hate the term marriage, by the way, when it comes to team relationships yeah. with because, you know, if if I was getting paid by my spouse, you know, millions of dollars a year uh, under contract, it would oh, be, I'm you in. know, I, <laughs> I'm locked in anyway. So it, it's totally different. But, uh, you know, hearing <laughs> from him that it's a short term marriage uh, and that's what he feels. Uh, how do you respond to that? Yeah, I mean, I totally get that. And honestly, like if you were to play back conversations that Jake and I were having from March, I'm, I'm sure I'm on the record as saying, hey, I'm not betting money. Russ is here in 22 um, for a reason, because it felt like someone is so careful. Let's this out. Not only did he let that out, but then at a following press conference, because he was getting the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, talks about it there. And then when the athletic article came out by uh, Sando Jenks and Michael Sean Dugar, fantastic piece. Um, in the article, it says that two of the teams he'd be willing to go to were like Miami and, and the Jets or something like that. His agent comes out to essentially correct that report, not to say like, oh, trade talks aren't happening. It's Russell Wilson hasn't demanded a trade. But if he did, it's these four teams, not, not those, these four teams. Like, that's what that was to me. So it's tough for me now, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, to hear, you know, Pete Carroll say, oh, a lot of that's just media when it's like, you know, it felt a lot like it was Russell Wilson's agent making it clear which teams he'd accept a trade to. So I don't think there was nothing there. I do believe that they have for right now seem to work a lot of that out um, based on Jake doesn't tell me anything, but I always just go based on like the kinds of conversations I have with him and what his comfort level seems to be. I also think that Jake, like he's a former athlete and has that kind of same mindset of like, I'm tuning this out now. I assume that that's how Russell Wilson is like, okay, not focusing on that right now. Cause we're focusing on, on the season. And I think that Jake thinks that way too. And so I, I kind of, I kind of gauge Jake has his own opinions about things. And I do think people don't credit him enough for that. And I, I feel for him there. <laughs> like they give him, they give him a really hard time. He got so much hate during all this from really? people that hated Russell Wilson. It was wild. Our text line would blow up. Normally I'm used to it blowing up saying like, I don't belong on radio. So it was like, well, what's this people now texting Jake saying like, did Russ tell you this? And it got to the point where people had like, Jake would say anything. And they would think like Russell Wilson fed you this info. And we'd be like, this is breaking news. And Jake's a I felt, I felt awful for him. It was really unfair, but, um, but that doesn't mean that I don't sometimes gauge his reaction to things and try to read into it. And, uh, most of the time, if you just ask him, he'll say yes or no. So based on all of that, I've taken it as things are fine right now, but that in my impression, there was something there and it wasn't as hostile as everyone hates each other, but you have this very well-reported article from the athletic. And then you have Russell Wilson's agent coming out and you put two and two together and you think, okay, there's uh, there's some issues here. There's some real issues that are normal between a quarterback that is getting better and a quarterback who wants to advocate for himself because now he's in his, he's 32 instead of 22 and he knows what he wants to do. And he also knows that he's the strength of the team. You don't have Richard Sherman here anymore. You don't have a great defense. It's good defense, but your, your strength is Russell Wilson. That's the strength of your team right now. And so that power balance shifts. Right. And, um, and for, for Pete Carroll, that must be kind of jarring too. So I don't know that they've worked it out. It sounds like they have from the outside, but I, I was very much 
where it sounds like Daniel Jeremiah is now, like two months ago, three months ago. Yeah. And it was interesting hearing a lot of these responses from Russell Wilson today, because a lot of these questions were asked, you know, Mm -hmm. these are all of the questions that we've kind of built up over the last few months. And here's Russell Wilson addressing it right off the top about the potential for him being traded uh, just this offseason or even in the future. You know, in terms of the trade talks, I think anytime you play professional sports, there's always a possibility of something happening, right? And I think that's just the reality. I think that there's a lot of teams out there that people were saying that I was going to or would go to. I requested a trade. I did not request a trade. Um, I've always wanted to play here. Um, you know, and, and the reality is, you know, uh, I think calls were getting thrown around and this and that. And I think that's just a reality. Um, but I think at the end of the day, the, the real reality is that I'm here and I'm here to win. I'm here to win it all. So this was him responding to it right out of the gate. And mm. I guess the message that he seemed determined to just get out throughout the press conference was that he did not request a trade. Like he repeated that. that multiple times. Yeah, I do believe that one part. The one thing I believe, and it's funny saying, I know some people were saying, I know Mark Rogers <laughs> was saying, I do believe the one thing I believe from everyone I've spoken to and things that I have heard are that he did not storm in and request a trade, that that's not something he did. That's just based on like what I've heard. It's basically anecdotal, <laughs> right? But um, I, but, I do but think that this is did, an effort to gloss it. Exactly. But he this, did it's, put it's out four teams that he was willing to go to. And, and that was I mean, a really interesting thing to do. And so I want to get your reaction to this. Well, I think there's a lot of confusion because uh, the reality is, is that I forget. I think I was in the Bahamas or somewhere and everybody was saying that I requested a trade. And that wasn't true. So we made it clear that I did not request a trade. And then there was teams being flown around that I was going to go to those teams, this and that. And so, you know, I think that, you know, when you look back at it, you know, it's it's part of, uh, I don't know, it's, again, it's part of it, um, unfortunately. Um, you know, and I think that, you know, more than anything else, you know, that I got my wish, you know, in the sense that I've always wanted to play here. That's that's where I am. That's where I am right now. And uh that's that's what I've always hoped for you know, ever since 2012 when I put all the names in a hat and pulled out the uh, Seahawks out of a hat, you know, and then uh, sure enough, about, I don't know, 30 days later, the Seattle Seahawks picked me. So, you know, that's that's my mission. That's my goal. And that's that's why I'm here today and ready to roll. So you talk about those gears turning and uh-huh. you hear him say, so that was part of so that was part of it. <laughs> and so part of the business, I, I'm 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 curious of where he was about to go and then he stopped to go, going there. Yeah, yeah. I uh, my initial impression is that's part of this business, but I think it's also part of what unfolded on both sides a little bit is maybe the unspoken thing. The unspoken thing is also, you know, we come out and clarify I don't want to trade, not adding the part that and then there was the four teams, skipping over the part where we come out and clarify the four teams that we would go to. That that part's left out of it. Again, I think that I think this got closer than Russell Wilson is publicly giving it credit for. Russell Wilson is clearly doing a little bit of damage control in this part of the season. Oh yeah. I can't imagine that Russell thought people would react the way that they did. Considering that for the last better part of his at least for the better part of his career people have complained about the offensive line, have complained about this team not um, using him as much, have complained about them not protecting him. He's hearing these things I imagine and thinking like why would people freak out about me saying this, forgetting that people always go team first. And for better or worse, and I'm all for players advocating for themselves, but you see it time and time again. In any way, when you come out against the team, even if it's something other people say, 
it's, do you want to leave? Am I not good enough for you? You know what I mean? It's, it's that kind of sentiment from people. And, and I saw so much of that in the reaction from fans, this idea of like, does he think he's too big for us? Does he think he's too Hollywood stuff that had kind of been building for a couple of years. And, um, I, you know, it's damage. That's what this is to me. It's damage control to me. It's, uh, I actually do think that in my mind, it's not wanting to leave Seattle. It's wanting to get your way and wanting to get a team that builds around you and that wants to win in the way you want to win. And it's always been, you have one guy, Pete Carroll and another guy, Russell Wilson that care more about winning than anything in the world, but want to win in different ways. The one thing I'm not sure about today, and I don't think we'll know for months and months to come is whether they found a way to agree. Yeah. What we know is that that friction caused some of these rumors to to start, at least because Russell Wilson presumably felt like they weren't prioritizing his safety, meaning that he clearly thinks he, as the quarterback in a, in a maybe a heavy passing offense, maybe just in an offense where he has more control, is your way to get to a Super Bowl, right? Both these men want the same thing. Um, so he's being critical of that failure to address that. So that's the one thing I don't know. And I didn't even really have that much of a problem with the offensive line issues with, with him because I never took it as him calling out players. I, I more saw it, as you mentioned earlier, as kind of a right a, on a whole, you know, it, because he was asked about being the most hit quarterback yeah. since since he came into the league. And so, I yeah, I, I never took it as him knocking his current offensive line. It was just that, man, you know, when you put it in that respect that you're the most hit quarterback. Yeah. And, and to, for him to say, I don't like that. I don't blame him for going there. I don't either. And I don't think that we should blame, you know, it's like when those rumors were floating around that uh, Doug Baldwin was not the hugest fan of Russell Wilson. I was like, why does he have to be? <laughs> why does he have to, do you love all your coworkers? Like, do you think every single one of your coworkers is like someone you the would answer to that is yes, Stacy. The answer is absolutely a hundred percent of the time. Uh, and, and so it's not on Russell Wilson to like love every decision his bosses make. And it is very human. I was talking, Joe Fan uh, is phenomenal. We were talking about this. He was on with me and Jake the other day. And this is during a break, but I don't think he would care at all that we that I'm mentioning here. It's like a very human thing to do, to kind of complain about your boss and your job. It's just that we have this thing where in football, it's like, oh, the tenants of football or that it is self before team. And it's like, yeah, but it's also a multi-billion dollar business where insanely competitive people want one thing. And you're going to get people that start finding reasons it didn't happen. And it's, it's like a weirdly human moment from him that just completely backfired. Well, just to go back to one thing you said about whether or not Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll agree, Russell did come out and say that his relationship with Pete is better than ever in the press conference. So take that for what you will. But I do have to wonder with, with things kind of backfiring i i have to wonder if there's a moment from this press conference that could ultimately backfire on him once again and cause him to have to go into a little bit more explanation and i want to play that clip for you stacy coming up next talking to Stacy Rost of Jake and Stacy on 710 ESPN and we're talking about the Russell Wilson press conference you know, Stacey, we've covered the Dan Patrick interview. 
We've covered the moment where his agent came out and gave four teams. But there's one other moment that really wasn't on my radar at all coming into this press conference. Art Teal asked Russ about something that I, I, it wasn't even really on my radar as being that big of a deal. Uh, but it sounded like it was kind of a big deal to Russell Wilson ultimately. And that uh-huh. was being left off of the letter that went out to the season ticket holders. Was the club confused too about your future? <laughs> I don't know. Those are, you know, I, I think there's a, I think there was a typo or I don't know. Maybe, there's, maybe there, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's a typo. Listen, I think that, um, I think that, you know, um, you know, Chuck and I had a great conversation. Uh, Pete and I had a great conversation. John, um, you know, it's, uh, at, you know, after that, and obviously that was a, a big thing <laughs> during that time. That that made it a little bit uh, interesting, I think, in, along the way. That was a big thing, he said. That's shade. That's shade <laughs> and a half. He could have started if he wanted to with, you know, Chuck and I had a conversation, and that made headlines. But we've talked. Instead, it was, yeah, that must have been a typo. <laughs> no, that bothered him, right? It that's had to have. That clearly bothered, bothered him. him. And that's... that's. I feel like I'm being gaslit a little bit. <laughs> I feel like all of us are being gaslit by Pete Carroll being like, it's no big deal. I don't know why you guys are freaking out. Why is everyone talking about this? And we're like, are, am I going crazy? Or did you oh, it's guys... Old, it's old news, Stacey. This, yeah. This... Am I going crazy or did the the agent of your franchise quarterback come out, clarify which teams he'd want to go to? Did you guys not publicly say anything? Which is fine. That's kind of Pete Carroll's MO. Uh, But then did you send out this letter that left his name out of it? And did you, you know, there were all these rumors that John Schneider met with this guy and he's since clarified it. But like, let's not act like there wasn't large breadcrumbs for people to cling on to and wonder what the heck was happening. And it's not some random player that people are just trying to make a story out of nothing. It is your franchise quarterback. Of course, people are paying attention. Yeah. The best quarterback in Seahawks history. And it's for it to be unknown whether or not he would stick around. It's yeah. Yeah. Kind of wild. That letter was a bold move. I remember that I had forgotten it until this moment. I just thought, you know, you mentioned Russell Wilson and everything you do. Why not give a little bit of credit to some of the other people? And if yeah. that's what happened uh, and Russ took exception to it. But at the same time, how do you leave out your quarterback who just won Walter Payton Man of the Year? That's that's You weird don't too. leave him out. Well, you think of like, look, maybe this is the best comparison to make. But when you get the media guides ahead of every game, they have like pages and pages of like the first 40 pages, I'm sure you've seen them, will be like just random notes for like, this is records that could be broken during this game, or this is, you know, our five best players. We have like three page bio. Russell Wilson takes up like a chunk of that every single week. Well, yeah, because it's all the records that he has broken, all the ones Mm -hmm. that he's close to breaking. So, uh, you know, speaking of that, let's let's move on to the offense because there is a new offensive coordinator. Russ was asked about the Shane Waldron offense and really how much different it's going to be. First of all, I wouldn't say it's a, a massive departure. I think that you know we have a lot of the um, core concepts and things that we've done over the years that have been extremely, extremely successful. I think that we also have um, some nuances um, across the board that you know um, really challenge the defense. Um, like I said, using the whole field and really expanding the offense and just using everybody as much as possible, all different formations and different looks and um, different tempos and all that. I think that uh, obviously the tempo part of it is is is, is something that's real. Um, I think also too is just um, you know I think Shane Shane brings a, a a really really cool thought process to it all um, you know and I think the best part is we get to go out and practice it and work at it and 
and get better as, po- as much as possible. And uh, guys are prepared. They're smarter than ever. I think we're re- really ready to roll. And um, I feel really confident about it. So I'm excited. Now, a lot of that's kind of like word salad, uh, a la Russell Wilson, where he tosses in random stuff. I think it is, a, it, it is a struggle tempo. for players, though, because, yeah. you know, how do you talk about an offense in a way exactly. that you don't want to give anything away, but at the same mm-hmm. time, you want to be excited, but you don't want to, you, you also don't want to crush the guy who came before. And so yes. trying to see this play out among all the players and and how they talk about it in that way, I, I, I give them credit for at least coming up with something. I'll tell, I'll tell you what I take from it is specifically the tempo conversation. It's yes. the up-tempo conversation is one that everyone's, this isn't new. It's not like we just heard it from Russ now. And the but it's something Russ going, has talked about every single every offseason. Every single time, every single offseason. And not only that, in the moments when, and you think back to like, um, it was a game against Cleveland, I think um, a, certainly a preseason game. And then, gosh, another game. Every single time when you hear a post-game story about like, oh, Russell's headset went out. And so he had to call that drive. It's always something he favors. It is always something he favors. He clearly loves doing it. You can't do it all the time, but I think it's something he would have loved, not just up-tempo, but just quick decision-making, knowing what your attack is going to be. I mean, I can't think he was happy on the one or two fourth-down decisions last year um, where it seemed like Schottenheimer, Carroll, and potentially Wilson were on different pages about what they wanted to do, or or Wilson and Schottenheimer were ready to go, and Carroll potentially wanted to call something else. Like, that has to drive you crazy if you're someone that's like, I know what we want to do. Let's roll. Yeah, tempo has always been a thing with him. And and if that is something that they can solve going into this season, that's a big part of it. And, you know, it brings me to a thing that you said earlier this offseason that really stuck with me. And it's essentially the idea that there isn't much in terms that the Seahawks can do in, in terms of personnel. that can fix the issues that they had in 2020 and that there's bigger issues that, that just go beyond the personnel. Yes. And like, I'm not stupid. I, I know that you're paraphrasing something I said, and I did say that for anyone, I'm just imagining some of the comments that I was seeing to that. I understand they could be better. Uh, They could have upgrade at center. They could have upgraded at, um, you know, left guard when you potty's health started to struggle. They could have upgraded at a third wide receiver was a huge need for this team that, that national reporters, certainly locally people knew that national reporters weren't paying as much attention to because of the production for Metcalf and Lockett. But overall, the bigger issue, if you're doing a blame pie and you're deciding 30% goes to this and 15% goes to this, the biggest portion felt like it was scheme decision-making over just personnel. It wasn't like, uh, you know, when we were talking about Julio Jones, it wasn't like, if we had Julio Jones, we get to a Super Bowl. It was, no, you guys are having discussions on the side of the field about what to do on fourth down because you fundamentally believe in different ways to attack right now. That's an issue. That's a huge issue. That's not just like, oh, you know, I want to use this guy and you want to use that guy. That's two different philosophies about how to win. Another issue that was made clear with Tyler Lockett's comments and in plenty of analysis since then is that they did not adapt. They did not adapt. They were on fire over the first half of the season. And then it became painfully obvious against the Giants, but in several other contests that they just did not know how to open up an intermediate pass game regularly. Uh, to to find those targets, whether it was, you know, the tight end group wasn't performing, maybe they weren't utilized well, um, 
you know, uh, Carson struggled with his health and then, uh, you know, they had other injuries to the running back group, which would have been your big weapons there. They couldn't find that intermediate pass game effectively regularly. So those are issues that you don't solve by just bringing in one guy. Those are issues you solve with some really tough conversations about who you want to be as an offense. And when you bring up Julio Jones, it, it's because of that and and why I say that that quote of yours, and yeah, I, I paraphrased it, I didn't have it exactly, but... No, 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 I, no, you said <laughs> basically what I was saying. I just knew since saying it that people were like, um, Stacy, they needed a wide receiver. And I was like, fam, I know this. Yeah, <laughs> but at the same time, I think about, okay, well, they lost out on Julio Jones. And then I think about, yeah, but was Julio Jones really the piece that was going to put him over the top? And and yeah, okay, they didn't sign a center in free agency. They got Ethan Posick. Is the difference between Ethan Posick and the center that they could have signed, is that going to be the difference between the Seahawks right. going out in the first round of the playoffs and making it to the Super Bowl? And and each time I ask myself that question, Stacey, the answer is usually no. So I, I, that's why I think that those other issues are so much more important. Yeah, no, that's exactly how it was for me. And like, yes, would a guy like Joe Tooney, who ended up going to Kansas City, have helped you? Sure. Absolutely. He'd be an upgrade. He'd be an upgrade. Absolutely. And all of those things are, you know, incremental steps forward, some bigger than others. Um, To me, there are few single personnel decisions that make that big of an impact. It needs to be like quarterback or it needs to be like, you know, our defense is weak. And so we brought in an all pro to help and he's playing amazing in coverage or something because the rest of our secondary is struggling. Like those kinds of decisions are a Super Bowl team, and it's why a team might give up, say, two first-rounders to get Matt Stafford or two first-rounders to bring in Jamal Adams. That's not your biggest issue. Your biggest issue is not having the right guys on the field. It's it's knowing what to do with them all the time. What do you think about Jamal Adams? Because you mentioned earlier you had Joe Fan on the show in Hour 3 yesterday, and and he's been on the Jamal Adams situation and and the idea about him potentially holding out for a contract and... Man, there's so much to consider about just the potential Jamal Adams contract and wondering if it's all going to be able to come together this offseason. Ah, uh, man, I can't think it won't. I, I think that there is no way John Schneider pulls the trigger on this trade without knowing. I mean, yeah, the, the nine and a half sacks were a career high for him. And obviously, sacks are money, right? The highest paid defensive players typically, unless they're getting you a ton of interceptions, are the guys that are getting you sacks. They're getting to the quarterback. That's what gets you money. So, yeah, like, is he going to maybe, you know, with that sack total say, well, I had more sacks than Khalil Mack. So, you know, I think I should maybe be paid like one of the better defensive players. And there's a separate conversation about Khalil Mack's sack numbers not being reflective of who he is as a player. But I'm getting in the rabbit hole. Well, I think there's two numbers that are that are really important that I, w- I want to run by you. Yeah, yeah. And that is, OK, Jalen Ramsey is the top right. paid defensive back at 20 mm-hmm. million per year. Obviously, that's a, a guy who is a shutdown corner, the the number one in the game right now. And it, that's a number to consider, because I think if this were as easy as just making him the highest paid safety in the NFL, they yeah, could get this done. done. It, it was a done deal. But yeah. you have you have Bobby Wagner making 18 million per year. Yep. And yep. so can you go over that number, considering Bobby Wagner's your captain and you know, oh, it's such man. an important piece 17. on defense? Exactly. But does 17 surpass that number enough for highest paid safeties for Jamal Adams? I don't know. I don't know what it does. I'm sure the Seahawks have a number in mind where they think we're not going to we're not going past this. And I'm sure that Jamal Adams number is higher than that. Um, 
that though doesn't which make would, me which would suggest a potential holdout, right? It it would. I think I can't think. I cannot think that the organization didn't expect because again, like I said, he didn't have the sack numbers, but he was a 25-year-old all-pro. Yeah. Best player on that team. You had to know bringing him in, this guy's going to want money. He's already like unhappy with the team he's on for separate reasons, but this is a guy that knows his worth and and is going to want to be paid. And we may be in a sticky situation negotiating with him. So I have been operating under the assumption, and this is probably why I'm in denial and just expecting that it'll get done, that this deal gets done at the end of July and that maybe the number is like a 17-ish kind of deal, which again, like you said, I'm sure he would be looking for 18 plus. Um, I, I think that that number might be reaching in on what the Seahawks would be willing to say. The, the question is, would they be willing to hurt themselves to stick with that number? Because trading Adams recoups some of that value. But if you don't have Adams on your roster in, in 2022 and beyond, you will have given up two first round picks for two years of someone, which is foolish. Um, so, so no matter what, if, if you're going to stick to your guns and say, we're not going past this number, either you work some contract magic and you find other incentives, other ways to get them paid, whatever else you need to do, or you say, we are willing to bite the bullet and we are willing to take an L with this trade overall, which is really difficult for a general manager to do. They've done it a bit, a tiny bit with the Percy Harvin thing, but, um, but not to this level. This would be another level. The other place I look at is Jadevian Clowney, where they had a number and they clearly, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't acceptable to Clowney. He was, he was willing to take it to the start of the season. He ends up going to the Titans. It looks really good for John Schneider in retrospect, right. uh, especially getting Carlos Dunlap. Now, the first eight games were kind of painful watching that defensive line, but I could see him sticking to his guns. And so maybe it is a good thing in term that he can point to that and say, hey, this is the number I stuck to. Clowney mm-hmm. did not get what he was clearly valuing himself at. And so, hey, you're you're the top paid safety. We're giving you extra. Uh, you know, if you're talking about going nearly to 18 million, that might do it. That might be what it takes to get it done. And they may backload. It's always normal oh, yeah. to write backload quite a bit of that contract, but maybe they add either more guaranteed money to kind of sweeten that deal or backload it with the knowledge that like Wagner may not be on our books in three years, or we may, um, you know, you're going to see the salary cap boom because of TV deals in a couple of years. So, so we may be able to sweeten that pot even more than we normally would. And then add in guaranteed money. I'm not a contract expert, but, um, <laughs> well, and, and it, but <laughs> it does speak to though, <laughs> the idea that there are certain things that are important to certain players. And, right. and one of those things is guaranteed money. Sometimes yeah. it's average per year. You know, if he wants to beat the because Jalen Ramsey is 20 million over five years, so it's a hundred million dollar contract. You know, does he mm-hmm. want to beat out that defensive back salary? And it, because if you, you can do that in ways to make it happen, to make it, it look pretty in terms of yeah. the numbers that go out there, but then also have it work to where, OK, while Bobby's on the team, he's not making more than Bobby. Yeah. To the way it's going, where it feels like to me, more players would value is just guaranteed money. Yeah. What can you guarantee me? No contract is guaranteed through four plus years, right? Not even Patrick Mahomes, who has the rolling guarantee. So, um, you know, I'm not saying make 
I'm, I am not saying <laughs> make more than four years guaranteed. Do not do that. But, but, um, I think overall total guaranteed money is starting to be something that players have very openly valued. And I could see that being something that helps to incentivize a deal to get done before the start of the season. I could see you're working on it. Openly valued. I'd, Openly I, you valued. See, you crushed me on that last time when <laughs> I had you on. And ever since then, people have pointed it out to me. I, so I have you to thank for that, that, that you were saying that I say open. Or, yeah. And uh, I don't notice it. You don't hear it when you say it. You don't. <laughs> Right, like no. I, say, I, I never hear myself say open, and then other, I, I'll hear it on a podcast, or people have started to text in open, and I'm like, I, I don't know what you want me to do. It's just, you know I think what with I'm me, to say. it's what certain words because I, I, I think I could say it right sometimes, and then like opening, like I it's see, tough. I really have to I have focus to on it, it because I mean, I have it, to make yeah. an effort, yeah. Be who you are. You I are will. who I'll you just, are. I'll just let my freak flag fly with, exactly uh, with how I pronounce that word. And, and you know, it's uh, we'll live with the consequences. <laughs> I'm right there with you, though. It's okay. I'm on your side. <laughs> She's Stacey Rost of 710 ESPN. If people want to tune in live, where do they go? If they want to check out the podcast, where should they check it out? Okay, so you can listen to us live on 710 ESPN Seattle. You can also stream us uh, on your 710 ESPN app, 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. And then you can download our podcast on said app or wherever you get your podcasts. Jake and Stacy. Definitely go check it out. It is Jake and Stacy. I'm going to be tuning in on Friday to hear what both Jake and Stacy have to say about the Russell Wilson press conference that happened on Thursday. And if you haven't heard the press conference, I've got the highlights for you in the podcast feed. It's the show right before this one. So if you clicked on the most recent one and didn't realize there was another one before it, Wilson Kahn helped produce that episode. Highlights from DJ Reed, Bobby Wagner, and of course, Russell Wilson. So if you missed that, go back and check it out. And I will be back with Clinton Bonner this weekend. We are shooting for about 4 p.m. Pacific on Saturday to do our live locker room. So tune in there. I'm sure Clinton is going to have some reaction to the Russell Wilson news as well. And I'm sure those of you listening will have some things to say. And Locker Room is your way to participate with us there. So be sure you're following along. Join LockerRoom.com and follow me. Brandon Schultz at Seahawkra is the account. And we will see you live on Saturday. So until then, go Hawks. Hawks.